We're at the symphony with George Dougherty by Zoom, the creator of What's Up Doc, Bugs Bunny at the symphony, conducting our Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra and the tunes that we know from childhood, from Bugs Bunny cartoons. Where did it all begin? You, you made a recording at the Sydney Opera House a few years ago. This show began with you. You created it. Well, and actually, a very important part of it actually began be, began right here in, in Pittsburgh. But ahead of that, um, we have this crazy idea. I had this crazy idea to um, bring these incredible scores to the concert stage back in 1989, back in the last century in the dark ages. And at that time, there really weren't any film concerts touring. Now, you know, film concerts are everywhere. Um, but back then, no one had really done this yet. And uh, I just wanted to bring the work of Carl Stalling and Milt Franklin um, to a place where people could actually hear it the way it was composed because, you know, we, we were so used to hearing it on our little t tiny television speakers back when we were kids in the living room or the generation before us heard them in movie theaters. But, you know, those were single track mono recordings um, of this fabulous music. And um, so my first idea was just to play it, play the music with orchestras, but it became very apparent immediately that the visuals had to be accompanying the music because the music and the visuals work together in a completely, totally um, seamless way. You can't really have one without the other. So, um, we went to Warner Brothers. We suggested that we did a test performance in San Diego, just far enough away from Los Angeles that if it was a disaster, no one would know about it, but if it was close enough that they could all come. And um, that was a huge hit. It sold out immediately. And by a twist of fate, we ended up on Broadway uh, about a month later for an extended run in 1990 at the Gershwin Theater. And, um, our very next stop was the Pittsburgh Symphony. The Pittsburgh Symphony was the very first orchestra who said, hey, this is a really cool idea, let's do this. So uh, we made our major symphony debut with the Pittsburgh Symphony in December of 1990. I'll never, I'll never forget it because it was Christmas week. We did two rehearsals before Christmas, set out Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. It was about 15 below zero here. <laughs> At that time, I took my first funicular ride over the incline in those cold temperatures, and um, we had sold out houses right after Christmas. So, um, and we've been going for 33 years since then, over 250 orchestras, over 2.6 million audience members all over the, the world. Um, we've hit every orchestra major orchestra in North America and most of the ones uh, not in North America. So great. It, it's an evergreen. Have you changed the show at all? Yes, we have. This is the fourth fourth edition, fifth edition. Certain things we you, you just have to keep in the concert. Um, What's Opera Doc, The Rabbit of Seville, Corny Concerto, um, those cartoons that are so beloved by the fans. Um, we just, if, if we didn't include them, we would have, uh, anarchy in the, in the audience, but, um, uh, we then, you know, change the peripherals around them because there's a lot of 
uh, there's a lot of material. Um, there were over 800 Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies made from the 1930s until the early 1960s. And every single one of them had a, an original, fully fleshed out gorgeous orchestral score. Um, so there's a lot of material. But you know, the masterpieces are the ones that everyone knows, you know, um, with the infusions of Wagner and, and, and Rossini and uh, Donizetti, Franz Liszt, Smetana, Von Suppe, Strauss, Strauss, and more Strauss, um, you know, Franz Liszt, it's, it's um, those are the indelible ones. Amazing. Do you think that the current generation is as familiar with Bugs Bunny? Are they getting it from YouTube or where do they see it now that kids don't watch television anymore? No, they, it's very different. Um, we've always had a, a, a very multi-generational audience. Um, from the very beginning, you know, I can look, I look out into the hall when I talk to the audience and um, I see kids, their parents and their parents, grandparents, parents and kids. Uh, but our, our audience has largely been adult the whole, throughout the whole run of our, uh, of our history. You know, adults love these cartoons because um, it brings them back to their, their own childhood, sitting in the living room, eating cereal on Saturday morning and watching these cartoons. Um, also, there has been a real um, resurgence of, well, not, not really a resurgence because in many ways he wasn't known, but there has been a huge build of respect and admiration for Carl Stalling, the composer, um, who was the, the primary, comp the first composer of this, then Milt Franklin, who was his orchestrator, took over for the final decade. Both of them are equally amazing. So we have that audience base too. But um, when we first started, kids were still watching it every Saturday morning. They were watching it after school. There was a there was a daily after school Looney Tunes show. There was a Saturday morning Looney Tunes show. Um, now we find out that the kids who come to our concert many times are seeing these cartoons for the first time in our concert. And that's really uh, exciting to be part of keeping it alive in this younger generation that has so many options and so many digital devices and so many video games and so many things that um, they are attracted and distracted to and by. Um, I always can tell the laughter coming out of the hall because you can, and, and this is worldwide because you know we, we've played internationally, we've been to to China, Japan, Korea, um, Denmark, France, everywhere, not always English speaking audiences, but the humor still comes through. And I can hear kids laugh at the same things everywhere in the world, the same, the same gags, the same jokes. Then I can hear adults laugh at the same other jokes because the, these cartoons have many layers. Chuck Jones, Frizz Freeling, Bob Clampett, the, the great directors, Robert McKimson, Tex Avery, they wrote for two very distinct audiences so brilliantly. So kids get it on a very versatile didactic, um, very um, obvious level. And adult audiences see all of the uh, sly double entendres or triple entendres that the kids don't see. 
So you hear very distinct laughter coming out of the hall. It's, it's, you hear the kids laughing at things, you hear the adults, and then you hear everybody laughing at, you know. When the coyote gets conked by an acme anvil, everybody laughs. <laughs> How do you keep the musicians and the visual images together? We actually do it exactly in the way that the um, cartoons were originally created. Um, Carl Stalling invented the click track, which is the way that to this day, movies are still recorded um, with the orchestras that, that provide their, their gorgeous soundtracks. Um, before, you know, when, when a film is finished, the music editor lays down, working with the composer for any film, lays down, you know, the, the click back, but the click track, so that in the recording sessions, the music is exactly where it needs to be. Now, uh, you know, feature films have more sort of give and take. There's, there's more wiggle room because the scores are more rhapsodic and lyrical frequently. Um, but Looney Tunes is going a million miles a minute from the, the beginning of every cartoon to the end of cartoon. We have, a, we, ha we have a joke that, you know, there are no slow movements in Looney Tunes. The musicians really get a workout on this because these scores go like a roller coaster. And so we use a click track uh, on stage that, that it's the same click map. We, we got the original clip map, clip, sorry, click maps from Warner Brothers with the original scores. Um, and that lays it all out. And it was amazing back then because the third property that is so seamless with all of this is the sound effects. The sound effects and the music work absolutely together as well in this, as, as well as with the visuals. A brilliant guy named Treg Brown designed all of the sound effects. And he really invented the entire language of you know, animation sound design back in the 1930s. Everybody who does it today, all the guys who just won Academy Awards uh, in sound design, you know, they all worshiped, you know, Treg Brown in the beginning. He's the one who really sort of invented it all. And um, so you will hear a musical passage happening and then the accent rather than being music will be a sound effect. Um, or there, there are times that sound effects are playing absolutely synchronously with the music. Um, there's no wiggle room there. For us in a live concert, it's a little challenging because the sound effects and the voices are coming from the original cartoon. They're coming from the soundtrack. We're playing live, but the very essence of the style of, of Looney Tunes is that, um, that it all works together and that it is all totally tight. So everyone will see that the orchestra has uh, headphones on and so do I, and we're all uh, you know, using the click track. Um, so I'm still conducting, I'm the, I'm the conductor, I'm still the driver, but the click track is sort of the GPS that uh, keeps us headed in the right direction. So the click track, they hear clicking in their ears and that- It's like a metronome, it's like a metronome. Precision. Yeah, you know, it, it beats out the, the tempo, the, the meter, everything. It gives us our start because if you don't start <laughs> at the same time, you don't, you don't get to the right place at the same time. And, you know, frequently like in What's Opera Doc, the, the cartoon starts and then, you know, two minutes, 23 seconds and 17 frames later, Bugs comes in singing uh, or Elmer comes in singing 
and you know you got to be there you, you can't be late you can't be early so uh, we basically recreate a film scoring session on stage the difference is that when they did it in warner brothers back on the scoring stage in the in the golden era the cart the orchestra would only have to deal with one cartoon at one time and they would break up that cartoon let's say the great cartoon Zoom and Board by Carl Stalling, which is uh, one of the most Carl Stalling-esque scores that there is. And we play that on this concert. Um, they would break it up into 10 different cues, 10 different sections. So a cartoon is, you know, six, seven minutes long, basically. So each, um, each cue would be a minute, give or, or take, um, a, a few seconds, and that's all they would have to deal with is that one minute of music, perfecting that one minute of music and rehearsing and, and, and recording until it's perfect, and then move on to the next one minute. Then after the fact, a music director, uh, music, uh, music editor would, you know, cut it all together. Now, in our concert, the Pittsburgh Symphony is playing 16 cartoons, <laughs> 16 cartoons in one concert, and uh, playing them all the way through from beginning to end with no uh, music editor there to <laughs> cut it together. Wow. So they actually have a, a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a big concert. And nobody can see the images above their head, right? They got to look at the music. Now you're looking at the screen. Oh, well, <laughs> we learned a long time ago that we need to provide video monitors for the orchestra um, strategically placed where they can see because they want to see the cartoons as they're happening. And we discovered if we didn't do that, that they were all craning their necks to try to turn around and, um, and see the screen, <laughs> which is many times behind them. And uh, so we learned very early on in this project that the way, to make it, the way to make an orchestra unhappy is to make them play Looney Tunes all day without seeing them. And uh, then for rehearsals, we actually have video um, screens across the front of the stage so they can really see them. Um, but it also helps them get in, you know, not that mus musicians are method actors necessarily, but it really helps them to know what's going on um, with the visuals. Um, you know, we had a very, I had a very funny story with a very major orchestra, very, very major, like on the level of the Pittsburgh Symphony, but I won't name who they are. And the principal bassoonist was a crazy Wiley e. Coyote fan. And he was in front of the screen, the screen was behind him. And in Zoom and Board, there is like a 32 bar bassoon solo where the bassoon is the only thing that is playing in the orchestra. And during this long bassoon solo, Wiley e. Coyote is climbing up this rickety, rickety stair to the top of a mountain where he's gonna fall off and uh, invariably as he always does. And I went to cue the bassoonist a very famous bassoonist for his solo, and he was completely turned around looking at the screen. <laughs> no bas no reed was in his mouth, no bassoon was being played, and we had 20 seconds of silence while his colleagues were trying to say, turn around, turn around, play, play. So anyway, you know, if, if we could do like airlines and put little little tiny monitors on every music stand, that would be the best possible way. But we, we managed to do it. They, they know what's going on. And the wonderful thing is that musicians love playing this concert, especially, um, especially American musicians and Canadian musicians who grew up 
with this material uh, and, and, and know it deep into their souls. Um, but, you know, Australia, we, we've been to the Sydney Opera House um, seven, eight times. And Australians really know and love Looney Tunes. British musicians really know and love, love, love them. Um, so they have a lot of, uh, they have a big fan base musically worldwide. It's so fun, isn't it, that the thing, uh, lines from Bugs Bunny cartoons are part of the culture we have at WQED-FM, our program and production manager, who's very adept with technical things. And whenever he pulls off something on the computer keyboard, we always say, Brian Savar, super genius. And for the longest time, I had no idea where the super genius thing came from. Well, of course, it came from Wiley e. Coyote and Bugs Bunny and their attempts to wipe one another out with the business or, practices, super yeah. genius. Or what a maroon, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh my! Of course, what's up, Doc? Which, of course, is, you know, um, one of the funny things is that as we tour internationally, um, when we first started touring internationally, everybody the 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 idea would, the logical idea is that everybody would want to have these dubbed, so they would want to hear them in their own language. So when we went to Mexico, they'd hear the tracks in Spanish. When we went to Korea, they wanted to, you know, well, let's we'll we'll do it in Korean. Um, when we went to Japan, we dubbed it into Japanese. And first of all, the rhythm patterns don't work out the same. For example, in the Rabbit of Seville, when Bugs is giving Elmer the most famous shave and haircut in the history of film. You know, and Bugs is singing is how about a nice cliche teach your whiskers to behave lots of lather lots of soap please please hold still don't be a dope now you know but in Japan in Japanese where there are five syllables for every one syllable in English um, that was fairly complicated but more than that we discovered that international audiences want to hear uh, Mel Blanc they want to hear the original voices. Um, and they want to, you know, one thing that's very little, um, very, very, very much less lesser known is that Mel Blanc never did uh, Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd was voiced by an old character actor named Arthur Q. Bryant. And Arthur Q. Bryant had a terrible agent. So Arthur Q. Bryant never got a screen credit ever, ever on screen. Um, and Mel Blanc, who had the best agent in Hollywood, got um, <laughs> screen credits on cartoons that were had no dialogue. <laughs> you know, he, um, and then and some of the cartoons have no dialogue. Of course, the the, the Wiley e. Coyote Roadrunner cartoons, um, except for one cartoon, are completely devoid of a single word. We have a genius cartoon in this this concert called High Note, which was one of Chuck Jones's most brilliant creations ever which doesn't actually feature any of the well-known um, Looney Tunes characters at all. All of the characters are notes and rests and the, the bar lines, the, the, the staff lines of a piece of music. Um, uh, a note from the Blue Danube Waltz uh, is acting up and he falls off the score and lands into the score of How Dry I Am and gets soused and crawls back up to uh, the Blue Danube Waltz and, and causes havoc. And it, it has one of the most long and brilliant trombone solos 
ever written. It goes on for three and a half minutes, a drunken trombone solo <laughs> that every trombonist has waited to play their whole life. So, you know, when, when we've had a lot of great trombone solos and this will be no exception here, this fabulous orchestra. I mean, the Pittsburgh Symphony is one of my favorite orchestras on the planet, but um, we've had we've had some very good orchestras recently, the New York Philharmonic, the Philadelphia Orchestra, the Pittsburgh Symphony, the Detroit Symphony, Cleveland Orchestra. Um, and then we go to smaller orchestras. Um, we were just with the Richmond Symphony, Omaha Symphony, um, Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, it's, it's just really enjoyable to play this with so many different orchestras that all bring their own unique gifts to it. Well, yeah, I, I didn't want to forget to ask you, Long Long, the great Chinese pianist, uh, says that he got into classical music from hearing Tom and Jerry cartoons. Do Tom and Jerry and the Flintstones wind up in your show? Well, yes, they have. They're, they're not in it at the moment, but the whole tradition of um, Tom and Jerry is, is right up there um, with uh, um, Carl Stalling and Milt Franklin. Um, we do uh, a, a brilliant cartoon called Tom and Jerry at the Hollywood Bowl. Last time we were here in Pittsburgh, which I think was either 2015 or 2014, we, we had that concert in, in uh, I'm sorry. Last time we were here in Pittsburgh, which was either 2015 or 2014, um, we had the most brilliant of the classical music Tom and Jerry cartoons, um, Tom and Jerry at the Hollywood Bowl, which is the deflator mouse Overture by by Johann Strauss, played at absolute breakneck uh, speed, um, two click track. Um, it's a brilliant cartoon, and of course the most infamous um, matchup or smackdown between Tom and Jerry and 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 Bugs Bunny came with the cartoons um, Rhapsody Rabbit and Cat Concerto. Both of them are set to the Litz Tungarian Rhapsody. And um, we have the, the Bugs Bunny version, Rhapsody Rabbit in the current concert. Um, the very same year, um, Tom and Jerry came out with the same almost exact cartoon. It was a huge, huge espionage search in Hollywood to see how the storyboards leak from one studio to the other or back and forth or back and forth. Both cartoons were nominated for an Academy Award that year and Cat Concerto, Tom and Jerry actually, uh, actually won and they are so similar. There are a hundred year old animators in the motion picture rest home that are still beating each other up every day about who stole that concept from whom. <laughs> oh, Maestro, I've kept you way too long after a, a long, long, flight but uh just i have to ask you in the in our last minute together here some of the other amazing things that you've done are fascinating you uh, have uh, won an emmy for your peter and the wolf that was on abc television you did jerry lewis telethons all kinds of things when you when you're not uh doing bugs bunny uh, was anything else you'd like to mention that people ought to know about your amazing career well I, I've done a ton of ballet conducting and opera conducting. I mean, that's how I really got started was doing ballet and opera. And I still am. I'm going off 
next week to do two weeks of the full-length Don Quixote <laughs> ballet. Um, and I love, I love especially conducting for ballet. I was lucky to conduct for American Ballet Theater and um, the Munich Staatsoper, La Scala Ballet, bunches of companies. And I, I do find that it's not um, uh, all that different because not saying that ballet dancers are the same as cartoon characters, but you know, conducting to a visual medium that's in front of you, whether it's a film or whether it's dancers, um, sort of is all in the same wheelhouse. And, but ballet is such an incredible, um, uh, incredible art form and, and so beautiful. And, um, and, and of course the music is unsurpassed in terms of the composers that, that wrote and composed ballets. Um, I noticed your uh, Ukrainian um, ribbon on. I'm, I've, I've been very moved and very, <laughs> a little distraught, <laughs> no, a lot distraught over that because I, one of the places I conducted uh, ballet was in Ukra Ukraine, um, in, in Kiev and um, Odessa. Um, and I have so many friends there um, that, I am so worried about right now, but you know, conducting for ballet it took me all over the world, and um, and still does. So I I, I love that a lot. Um, but the the whole Bugs Bunny concert Looney Tunes experience, you know, has enabled me to conduct some just miraculous orchestras. And I I think the most important thing about the opportunity here to hear these scores with an orchestra like the um, the Pittsburgh Symphony is that you really have an opportunity to hear these played by world-class musicians and you hear the and that's the way they were created um, you know Hollywood was such a hotbed of of classical music at the time that these cartoons were first created um, every single studio had its own symphony orchestra. Musicians were not going back and forth and freelancing between all the studios. There was a Warner Brothers Symphony Orchestra. There was a 20th Century Fox, you know, Paramount, um, MGM, all of them. And, um, um, you know, Leonard Slatkin, our great American conductor, um, his father, Felix Slatkin, was... Uh, was a concertmaster of the uh, of the Fox 20th Century Fox Orchestra, and his mother Eleanor was the principal cellist of the Warner Brothers Orchestra. She was the first principal female cellist in all of Hollywood, and um, during that time they formed the the Hollywood String Quartet, which um, to this day is pretty much unsurpassed in their recordings of of uh, of a great deal of chamber, chamber music. And um, so there were more world-class symphony orchestras in Hollywood during this period of time. And the Warner Brothers Orchestra was one of the best ones. The, di the difference with Warner Brothers is that they used the full orchestra for the cartoons. So when you hear these cartoon scores, you're hearing 80 musicians um, on the Warner Brothers scoring stage. And the, the funny thing about it is that they would wait till they were, they had 15 minutes at the end of a session for Casablanca or uh, the Maltese Falcon, 
or Dark uh, Now Voyager or Dark Victory or any of those great, great gigantic scores. And then they just throw down a cartoon in 15 minutes with those same musicians. So they were always very warmed up because they always, they always played the cartoons at the end of a, of a three hour session. And you just got that unbelievable sound. And now people can hear that sound like it was on the scoring stage back in 1930, you know. George Dougherty, we could go on for quite some time. This is a truly beautiful topic. And what you are doing is essential, bringing these masterpieces to an audience of all ages. Everybody can laugh and have a good time. Wagner and laughter, Wagner, Franz Liszt and laughter. Who would have guessed? Wow, it's the best. You're doing something that's essential. Thank you so much for bringing the beautiful concert of Bug Bunny to Pittsburgh. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to do it. And you know, when it comes to Wagner, audiences have a real opportunity here because, you know, just in What's Opera Doc, which is our grand finale of the concert, they have the entire, every theme, every major theme from the ring cycle. So Siegfried, Die Valkyra, Das Rheingold, Gotterdammerung. And if that were not enough, that, that, that alone, I believe, is 18 hours of music normally. Um, and if that were not enough, they threw in the Flying Dutchman, they, uh, Lohengrin, Rienzi, and, um, and um, so we do that, that whole thing in six minutes and uh, 20, 23 seconds. But, you know, when I landed at the Pittsburgh airport this morning, it was really amazing because as I walked off the plane, the Pittsburgh airport was very proudly playing um, Pittsburgh symphony music over the speakers. And just as it would happen to be, they were playing um, uh, the, the Venusburg Overture from Tannhäuser, which sounded so gorgeous, but of, of course, and our concert that is Bug singing, retwine my love, da 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 dee 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 dee. So I, I felt like it had all been planned for my welcome. I don't know how the Pittsburgh Symphony did it, got the airport to play this right as I was walking off my plane, but <laughs> it was a very happy accident. Look, you've made me happy because I have a surprise for you that that music comes from our little studio here at WQED. The music heard at the airport and in our subway system with the Pittsburgh Symphony is part of a service called Cue the Music, which we stream online and it goes 24 hours a day. But the well, Pittsburgh it's, you know, it's it's brilliant. It's totally unique. I mean, all I do is fly into airports and I have never seen or heard that with any other orchestra and any other airport in the world it's rare and it's and it's nice and loud you can hear it good you know? glad to hear it we always tell but them. the fact that i the fact that i was getting wagner on my arrival this morning i decided that was the perfect good luck sign for this coming week just for you maestro thank you so much for talking it over when you're fresh from the plane now get some schlaf get a little sleep and relax and enjoy your time here in Pittsburgh, we're going to send as many people as we can to Heinz Hall. They're all going well, to have a please, time. please come. We were off for two years during COVID. That just happened to be Bugs's 80th birthday year, which we missed. But we're celebrating it belatedly now.